0: We'll Turning your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 7, we're continuing, of course, our study of the history of the nation of Israel. We've been going through 1 Samuel, and 2 Samuel, we've been seeing really the lives of the kings. We saw Samuel first, and then we saw the first king, Saul, and now we're seeing the second king, David. And Of course, when we think about David, we go, wow, David, a man after God's own heart, and we see not only his great love and victories and do things, but as we go through this the study, and we'll see it in just a few chapters, we'll see his failures as well. And, and so David is a great man, and we're seeing some good things. We're seeing that David now has become the king over the entire nation of Israel and is seeking to unite the people. And here's what he's done. He's defeated the Philistines. He's defeated the Jebusites. God gave him the victory. He has made Jerusalem the capital of Israel. He has brought the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, and we saw last time that he desired to be build a house for God. It was a temple. We wanted to build a permanent building for God. And so this is where we are. David has come up with a plan to build a temple for God. And what we saw last week is that's what David said, I'm going to do that. And Nathan, the prophet said, sounds good to me. And then Nathan had a dream, had a vision. And God came to Nathan and said, go tell David, he's not going to be the one to build the temple for me. In fact, what we saw last week is sometimes, you know, we want to do something for God. We'll say, I want this to happen or I want this to happen so bad and it doesn't happen, and we think, oh, that's so bad, it's not good. And yet we realize later that God's plan is a lot better than ours, and God has something even better for us. And as we look at this, we're going to see that David realizes that even though he's not going to get to build a temple, God has something really special for him. And this this chapter is called the Davidic Covenant. It's, It's a great chapter in the Bible. It's one of the most important chapters in the Bible. And so we're going to see this. This morning, how does David respond when God actually says no to him? David responds about the covenant that god's going to do it's called praise and petition and we're going to see that and that's one of the things that we do how how do we respond when things don't turn out the way that we want them to or we think they're supposed to turn out and we see that god is in control and he actually does something better for us anyway and we need to praise him and pray to him we'll talk more about it There is a great truth, and that is we don't have control over the events and the circumstances of our lives. On some things we do, but not most things. We can't control the trials and the problems and the disappointments. There is one thing we can control, though, and we can control how we respond to the circumstances in our life. When we look at 1 Thessalonians, he says, Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing in everything. Give thanks to God. We also think in Philippians 4, he says, Be anxious for nothing but everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. The proverb says, "Trust the Lord with all your heart." So sometimes, when things go wrong, what we need to do is just go to God, give thanks, and say, "Lord, I know it's not what I was thinking, but Lord, I know that You're working all things according to the counsel of Your will, and what You do is always better." So we'll see this. And now, this morning, we're going to see what did David do. David says, "I want to build a house for God," and God says, "No." And so what happens? So we look at it this way. David said, I want to build a temple. I want to build a house for God, a, a temple. And God says, no, but God makes a promise to David. David, he actually says to David, I will build you a house. Now, what we mean by that is going to be a kingdom. He's making a covenant with David. And the Messiah and the king will come through David. So what God says to David, and we saw this last week, is that you, David, you're not going to build me a temple. I'm going to build for you a kingdom. And through you, David, one of your descendants will be the Messiah, the Savior of the world, who will live forever and rule in righteousness and justice. How does David deal with the fact that God says, you don't get to build a temple? Well, we could say, was he disappointed? No. Well, no. And is it joy and humility? What does he do? How does he respond? Well, let me show you the outline of what we're going to see this morning in verses 18 through 29. It's not a very long passage. I want you to see it. But how does, how does David respond? He praises God and he prays to God, so we call it praise to God. Verses eighteen through twenty-four, and then David's petition. This is what he prays, and his verses twenty-five through twenty-nine. And listen, we're going to look at it, it's going to be a little bit different than you might expect. What what does he pray? And we'll see how that ties together. So he he wanted, uh, you know, he wanted it, but it, but God says no, and so the response, and as we said, is praise and petition. So. How do we respond? Well, let's start. And if you remember last week, we went chapter 7, verses 1 through 17. In that section is one of the most famous portions of the Scripture. It's 1 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 17. It's where God comes basically to David and promises what we call the Davidic covenant, a promise that God is going to send the Messiah through David, who will be the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And so that's what we're going to look at. And here's what he promised David last time. If you remember, look at Second Samuel chapter 7 and look at verse 12. Here's what he said to David. When your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, in other words, David, when you die, I will raise up your descendant after you. Who will come forth from you and I will establish his kingdom. If we stopped reading there, we might think it's his next, his son, Solomon, but it's not. It goes on to say, he will build a house for my name. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And so there was the promise. And, and, and uh, to this, he says, I, what he's going to do? I will establish the kingdom, the throne, the house, and it'll be forever. Look down at verse 16. Your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. Well, listen, there was no human being that's going to sit on the throne forever. Solomon couldn't do that and Hezekiah couldn't do that all the way down. The only one that can sit on the throne forever is Jesus Christ. And the promise to King David is he will have a son who will rule forever. And it's very, very powerful. Great statement there. Now, God... Uh, I want you to see, we call this the Davidic, Davidic kingdom, a uh, Davidic covenant. And I want to remind you of what we talked about last week. You remember we talked about the covenants and God made five covenants with the nation of Israel. Now this is important. This is with Israel. This is found in the Old Testament. There was one conditional covenant and one unconditional covenant. Now, conditional covenant is where each side has something. Like God says, I'm going to do this, but you must do this. The, unconditional, the conditional covenant where both parties have a responsibility was the Mosaic law. We saw it after the nation of Israel came out of Egypt. Deuteronomy chapters 27 through 30, the book of Exodus gives us the Mosaic law. It started with the top 10 commandments given to the nation of Israel, and then there were over 613 commandments totally. And God said this, you obey me, I will bless you. You disobey me, I will curse you. He said, if you obey me, you get to live in the land. If you disobey me, I will take you out of the land. It's called a conditional covenant because the nation of Israel had to obey, had to do what God wanted them to do. They didn't always do it. In fact, they were removed from the land. But that's the conditional covenant. If you remember after that, God made uh, their, their four unconditional covenants, and he made the first one with Abraham. It's called, we call it the Abrahamic covenant. Now, let me remind you what happened. God came to Abraham and said, Abraham, I'm going to do something really great for you. It's unconditional. Abraham didn't have to do anything. He said, I'm going to make a covenant with you. I'm going to give you a land, a seed, and a blessing. We'll talk about it in just a second. In that day and time, to make an agreement, to make a covenant. Now, today, you're going to make an agreement. You get out a piece of paper, and I say, this is like a contract. And I sign, and you sign, and that's our contract. In that day and time, they didn't do that. If you wanted to make a covenant or an agreement with someone, you took an animal. And you cut the animal in two, and you put one half over here and one half over here. And the two people making the agreement would grab arms and walk in between the animal. And that was saying that we're coming to an agreement that if either one of us breaks our word, we get cut up. That's basically what it was saying. It was called to cut a covenant. Now, here's how God did with Abraham. You remember, this is an unconditional covenant. So Abraham has no part in it. God told Abraham, God said, Abraham... Get some animals. And he got an animal, and he cut it in two. Then he got another animal, and he cut it in two. Got another animal, cut it in two. Got some birds. Put one over here and one over here. So there's a place to go between. Then God said to Abraham, you go sit over by this tree. Abraham went and sat over by the tree, and then he had a dream. And it was a powerful dream. And when he woke up from the dream, there was this flaming torch, which represented God, and that torch passed between those animals. And it was God saying, I am signing a covenant with you. It's unconditional, Abraham, you don't have any part in this. I'm going to do it all. We call that the Abrahamic covenant. And that Abrahamic covenant had three parts to it. He promised him a land, a seed, and a blessing. The land, of course, is the land that we call the nation, the land of Israel. The seed is the offspring, which ultimately is the Messiah, which is the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And the blessing is that he'll make a great nation, and there'll be blessing to all, and all the world will be blessed through Abraham because the Messiah comes through him. That was the first unconditional covenant that God made with Israel that's through Abraham now there are three other covenants and they all tie in to the land the seed and the blessing the second covenant was called the Palestinian covenant we call it the land covenant it's found in Genesis 3, it's found in Genesis 15 they get the details on the land the covenant called, we call Davidic covenant which we're looking at right now in 2 Samuel chapter 7 gives the details on the seed the messiah and the kingdom the promise to David is the messiah will sit on the throne coming through him. The last covenant is called the new covenant. It was found in Jeremiah chapter 31, actually verses 31 through 34, and that would be the blessings of the whole world. So God made a promise to Abraham, land, seed, blessing, comes back with three more covenants, one dealing with the land, one dealing with the seed, and one dealing with the blessing. We are looking at the one, in in our passage, we're looking at the Davidic covenant in which God promised through King David, that he would have a son that would be the Messiah and the Savior of the world. And think about this. When Jesus Christ came, Mary, who's about to have the baby, the angel comes to her and says, you're going to have a son? And he will take the throne of his father David and of his kingdom and his throne and his house. There will be no end. That's the promise. You remember when Jesus was on the earth? When Jesus walked on the earth? There were times that people called him things. He was sometimes called Jesus of Nazareth. Sometimes he was called the son of man, but sometimes he was called the son of David. To be called the son of David says, Jesus is the descendant of David who will be the Messiah and the savior of the world. Do you remember the time that Jesus was coming from Jericho? And as he came out, there were two blind men there. And as Jesus walked by, they began to shout out, son of David, have mercy on us people said, be quiet, be quiet, don't shout out at Jesus like that. And Jesus is walking, and they say, son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and went over to them. You know why? Because for them to call him son of David means they understood that he was the descendant of David, who is the Messiah and the Savior and the King. And Jesus healed them right then. And so what we realize is that God made a promise to Abraham, land seed blessing. The seed is what we're seeing in 2 Samuel, where God comes back and actually says, David, you're going to be the one. Through you, the Messiah will come as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he will rule in righteousness and justice. How does David respond? Praise and petition. How do we respond with all the promises that God has given to us? Praise and and petition. Let's look at it. Now, the passage is not very long, so it won't take us very long to go through it. We're going to start at at, uh, verse 18 and go through verse 29. So it's only 11 verses, but I want you to see what David does, and we can make application in our lives. So let's look at how David praises God for what the promise is. Now, let let me just say this to you. Sometimes in your life, you may say, oh, Lord, I want this. I want this. I want this. I want this. And then you don't get it. What is your response to that? You know what it should be? It should be praise, Lord, thank you. I know what you're doing. I I don't understand it, but I trust you because I know you're gonna do better than what I even thought. And what David does when he realizes he's not gonna get to build the temple, but God says to him, I'm gonna send the Messiah, the king, through you. How does David respond? He responds with praise. Notice verse 18. Then David the king went in and sat before the Lord, and he said, who am I, O oh, Lord God, and what is my house that you've brought me this far? Now, he comes and starts off by saying, God, I recognize, who am I? You're, you're God, you're the greatest, I'm nothing. In fact, you could look at it this way, David says, I'm nothing, and you're great. You know, that's how he's saying it. I realize, God, that what am I, that you brought me this far, you let me be the king. I started out as a shepherd boy, I ended up being a warrior, and now you've let me be the king of Israel? Who am I that you've done this for me? We could look at ourselves and say, who are we that God in his grace has given to us what? Eternal life as a gift. Has he given us the word of God? Has he given us spiritual gifts? Has he given us the Holy Spirit to live inside? Has he given us fellow believers? You know what we could say? Who are we, Lord, that you've done all this for us? That's how David is. That's how he starts this prayer. And he says, who am I, Lord, that you've done all of this? And then in verse 19, he says, and and yet this was insignificant in your eyes, O Lord God, for you've spoken also of the house of your servant according to the distant future. You've told what you're going to do in the future about how you're going to build me a house, how you're going to make a kingdom, how the Messiah is going to come through me. He says, and this is the custom of man, O Lord God. He says, this is the way you deal with us. You always do these things. You can do anything. He has spoken already about the house and the throne, and the future king, and the promises. And David is saying, wow, look what you've promised. And then in verse 20, he says, and again, what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God. Oh, he says, Oh Lord, what, what more can I do? You know me. And the truth is, God knows us completely. He knows everything about you. He knows everything about me. Psalm 139 says, even before we say something, he already knows what we're going to say. Even before we think something, He knows what we're going to think. He knows when we lay down, when we get up. He knows every aspect about us. God knows us completely. He knows we're but dust and sinful and fallen, but we know that He also, we also know that we're made in His image. And we can come boldly to the throne of grace. Not because of us, but because Jesus Christ has gone before us, seized the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. So David is saying, and Lord, what you, you know everything. You know everything about me. You know every aspect. And then in verse 21, he says, for the sake of your word and according to your own heart, you've done all this greatness to let your servant know. He said, you've done all of this. There's nobody like you. You've promised me this. And he continues to praise God. And he says, there's nothing like him. You know, when we pray a lot of times, our prayers are to ask for stuff. Oh, Lord, give me this. Oh, Lord, give me this. You know, I need, I got a test coming up. You know, I got this big project. I got this, Lord. Oh, I don't know what I'm going to do with my work. But what he's doing here is praising him for who he is and what he's done. He's so good to us. If you had to sit down and just only had one sheet and say, I want to write how good God has been to me in the last two weeks, you couldn't get it all on that little page. You'd go, even if you wrote little, he does everything for us. He let you live. He's given you gifts. He's taken care of us. So he says, for your sake, O Lord, according to your heart, you've done all of this to let your servant know. You've done all of this to let me know there's none like you. You're the greatest. And then in verses 23 and 24, well, in verse 22, let me, let me give you that. One. He says, for, for this reason, God, you're great. There's none like you. There's no God beside you. Uh, according to all that we've heard with our ears. Look, there's nothing like you. You are the greatest one. There's none like you. Listen, there are people today, and and most people don't understand this, that there's only one God. I mean, throughout history, people have worshipped what we call false gods, and they've had other gods and everything, but there's no God. There's only one true God, and that is Jesus Christ. And that he is indeed the Savior. In fact, he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. Jesus is the only way of salvation. And when we, you, there's going to come a time in our country, you're going to have to stand and say, I believe Jesus Christ is the only way. And they're going to call you misinformation and all other stuff, but you're going to have to stand for the truth. And it's coming more and more, coming more and more that we're going to have to stand up and say, I believe the Bible. I believe the Bible is God's word. I believe Jesus Christ is the only way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. And we're going to have to stand for the truth. And it's coming, and it's coming quicker than we think it is. And so he's praising God, and he's telling God, he says, God, nobody's like you. And then in verses 23 and 24, he talks about Israel, the nation. And he says, look what God is doing. He says, and what... What one nation on the earth is like your people Israel, whom God went to redeem for himself as a people and to make a name for himself and to do a great thing for you and awesome things for your land before your people whom you have redeemed yourself from Egypt, from the nations and their gods. He said, there's nothing like you. No, there's nothing like you because Israel, God has redeemed the nation of Israel. You know, when people are confused about the nation of Israel, you understand they are God's chosen people, not for salvation but for service. Each individual Jewish person or Gentile person, the only way of salvation is faith alone and Christ alone. Jewish people aren't saved just because they're Jewish, but the nation of Israel, God's people, he has chosen them to do certain things. And, and when, when the people look at him, he's already said, he told Abraham, I'll bless those that bless you, and I will curse those that curse you. And, and he gets all of the honor and all of the glory, and talk about bringing them out. Listen, the, when, when, when you read the Bible and that nation of Israel was in Egypt and they were in Egypt for 400 years and they were being persecuted and slavery and God came in and brought in the plagues and then brought them out, brought them right out of there. You know, some people think that's like a story. That's not a story. That's true. Just talk to any Jewish person on the 14th day of the first month of Nisan, which corresponds to our March in April, is Passover. And they remember every year that God passed over them. They put the blood on the door when they were in Egypt all those years ago, around 1400 you know, 1440 BC. They came out of Egypt and God passed over their houses. They never forget that. They never forget that. They celebrate it to this day. It's not just a story from the Bible. It is true. They are God's chosen people for service. For God's chosen people. What, what, did he, what do we get through Israel? Like we get the word of God and the Messiah. Have you ever thought about that? You understand that this book is a Jewish book? Every author is Jewish. The only one that might not be Jewish is Luke, Dr. Luke. He may or may not be Jewish. Every other author who wrote this book is Jewish. I've had people say, well, I don't like Jewish people. I say, I love Jewish people. They gave us the word of God. And they gave us the Messiah. Through Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to Judah, to David, all the way down comes Jesus Christ. The Jewish people gave us the Bible. Jewish people gave us the Messiah. They are God's You know what David ends up saying? Look in verse 24. He says, For you have established for yourself your people, Israel, as your own people forever. And you, O Lord, have become their God. You know what he says? God's great. God is great. Do you think about God being great? Do we go around and say, you know, God's great. He is the greatest. There's nothing like him. He loves us with an everlasting love. So what does David do? David praises God. David praises God and says, you're God, nobody's like you, I'm nothing, you're everything, you've done everything. And then from there, and this is the last part, and we'll go fairly quickly through this, he gives a petition, he's going to ask God for something, and what do you think it might be? Look at verse 25, and now therefore, O Lord God, the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and his house, that's the kingdom, confirm it forever and do as you have spoken. He prays to God and he actually says to God, God fulfill your promise. You promise the covenant. You promise the kingdom. You promise the son. You promise the Messiah. Do what you have said. David prays according to the promises of God. Do you realize that you and I can pray according to the promises of God? Have you thought about that? I can say, thank you, Lord, that you said that you would provide every need that I have. Philippians 4.19. I can say, oh, Lord, please provide every need that I have, because that's what you promised. I can say, Lord, oh, please be with me, because you said you will never leave me or forsake me. I could say this, oh, Lord, I know you're preparing a place for me. You've said that you would go prepare a place for me. Oh, Lord, please prepare the place for me. And, Lord, as you said, you will come back and get us. Oh, Lord, come back as soon as you can to get us. I know that there are a lot of you in this room that are saying to God, please come get us as soon as possible. As we see our world crumbling before our eyes, we would love for Jesus to come get us. He made a promise that he's going to come get us. And you can say to God, oh, Lord, come get us. Come, Lord Jesus. You can pray according to the promises that God has given you. That's what David is doing. David says, God, you promised the kingdom and the Messiah through me bring it out, make it happen. Do what you have said. And we can do that all the time. What's the goal? Look at the next verse. That you may be magnified forever by saying the Lord of hosts is God over Israel and may the house of your servant David be established forever. Why? Because God gets all the glory because God fulfills every promise that he's ever made. And God gets all the glory in our lives when he fulfills the promises that he's made to us. It's powerful. Look what he says in verse 27. For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, you have made a revelation to your servant. You told me what you're going to do, saying I will build you a house. You're going to build this kingdom. Therefore, your servant has found the courage to pray this prayer to you. O Lord God, you are God, your words are truth, and you have promised this good thing to your servant. He's saying, Lord, do what you said. Do what you promised. And we can pray the same thing. Lord, thank you. You know, if you ever... If you ever doubted your, your salvation, because when you believe in Jesus Christ, what has he promised you? He's promised you eternal life. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believe in him will never perish but have what? Eternal life. And sometimes people get confused and they start wondering and say, listen, wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, Lord, you promised me eternal life. So I, I have eternal life. Pray according to the promises of God. Pray according to the scripture. That's what David is doing. David is saying, God, you promised me a kingdom and a Messiah coming through me and a savior of the world. So do it, I pray pray that you will do it. And so he's really just praying according, they realize David is just praying according to God's promises. And we can do that. First John says, when we pray according to his will, we know that he hears us and we have what we ask. How do you know what God's will is? It's found in God's word. Pray according to the word of God. It's powerful truths, powerful truths. Verse 28, now, Lord, your words are true. The word of God is true, by the way. Listen, every aspect of this Bible is true. Did you know that there really was a Jonah and he got swallowed by a big fish? Did you know that the nation of Israel came out of Egypt and God actually parted the water and they came through on dry land and when the Egyptians came in there, it closed in on them? Did you know that when they were in the wilderness wandering around that every morning a thing called manna, manna, Hebrew for what is it, came up every day and they went, manna, what is it? And they ate it every day for 40 years. That those are all true. The word of God is true. Did you know it is true that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for the sins of the world and he was buried and he rose on the third day according to the scripture. That is true that he is alive. Do you know that Jesus is seated right at the right hand of the throne of the Father right now making intercession for you? That is true. The word of God is true. And the more you know of the word of God, the more you can claim those promises and say, thank you, Lord, you're seated at the right hand of the throne of the Father, and I can come boldly to the throne of grace, and I can bring every prayer request to you, and every time I sin, I can confess my sin, and you promise you're faithful and just to forgive me and to cleanse me. Every promise of God is true. The word of God is alive and powerful and true, and you should believe it and hold to it and live your life based on this word. David says, because you're promise is true your words are true john 17 17 thy word is truth we should know it and do this and so he ends up by saying now therefore may it please please you to bless the house of your servant do what you said that it will continue forever before you just what you said for you O lord have spoken and with your blessings may the house of your servant be blessed forever lord you promised you promised you're a perfect God, you promise, bring it to pass through David, Jesus Christ, the son of David, the king of kings, and the Savior will come. David's response is praise and petition. Praising God for who he is and his faithfulness and his petition to bring the promises to pass. You can praise God for who he is and what he's done and you can bring your petitions based on his promises. So let me quickly give you this. Let's respond biblically to the situations in our lives. How do we respond? Well, first of all, we could respond in disappointment. We could say, "Well, that's not what I wanted. That's not what I want to happen." But we got to trust God because we have to understand that what He has for us is even better. And so, for David, do you realize that David wanted to build a house for God, but what God was going to do for him was even better than building the house for God? So, what do we do? We praise God in the situations. He's God. He's great. He never makes a mistake. We, we trust him. We rest in him because he, he works all things perfectly. And we have to say, God, you are the greatest. Thank you for what you do. The second thing is we make our petition. We base our request based on the word of God. That means you have to know the Bible to be able to pray this way. You have to know what his promises are to pray according to the promises. He, he promised us eternal life. You can say, Lord, thank you that you have given me eternal life. God cannot lie whatever he promises. Let me give you one other thing. Let's thank God for the Messiah, the coming king. Think about who he is. The first time he came... He came to die. Now, let me ask you something, or let me remind you something. When Jesus Christ came the first time, he was born in Bethlehem. He was born king of the Jews. Uh, He was born to be the savior of the world. And he came, and he offers himself to the nation of Israel as their king. That's what he came for. If you look at the gospel of Matthew, he even tells the disciples, do not go to anyone except the lost sheep of the house of Israel because he's offered himself as the king. They did not receive him as king. Some of them believed in him, but as a nation, they rejected him as king. He was crucified. He died on the cross to pay for sin and rose again. He came the first time to die. He will come the second time to reign as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And he's coming to set up the kingdom, and that will be the fulfillment of the promise to King David That his greater son will sit on the throne. Let me remind you, this is the chart just to give you a quick idea. This is Jesus first coming. This is the Old Testament. He came, he died on the cross, paid for sin, rose again, and and then walked on the earth forty days and ascended back into heaven. We're in what's called the church age now. Jesus will come a second time to the earth. Now he's gonna come in the clouds. It's not to the earth. This was to the earth, this is to the earth, this is in the clouds, this is called the rapture. That's the church that he's gonna come, the dead in Christ will rise first. We who are alive and remain to be caught up together to meet the Lord the air. That's called the rapture. He will come a second time to the earth as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He will rule for a thousand years from Jerusalem. He will fulfill the promise that God made to David, that David's greater son, Jesus Christ, will sit on the throne of Israel forever. He will rule from Israel for a thousand years. Then there'll be a new heavens and a new earth, and he will spend all eternity as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The fulfillment of all the covenants, the land, the seed, the blessing. When Jesus is on the King, they'll be in the land. He will be the king king, and there will be blessing to the whole world. The fulfillment of the promises that God made to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and to Judah and to David, all of those will ultimately be fulfilled during the kingdom when Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. What a promise. We look forward to that day.